Awesome. Fantastic. Well, if you've got your Bible there, turn to Psalm 96 for me. It's the passage we've read out before. We're just uh, deciding we're going to eat in here later on. It's too uh, hot and sticky out there. So we've got the air con in here. Just, I don't even know if we're allowed to eat in here, but we're going to do it. Uh, don't tell Nikki. Where are oh, she's up in kids. Okay. <laughs> That's good. Now, you know, it's Australia Day today, and so it means like the one day of the year I can kind of represent my only Australiana thing. I got this footy jersey when I was 14. It now fits me. <laughs> I got it watching Australia play England in the rugby league in England, which was interesting, but uh, I'm going to put that on later, but I thought it might be a little bit too distracting to wear it while I was preaching. Didn't want to be too much Australia pride, but at least I wanted to show I have some Australiana gear here. All right, Psalm 96. If you want a title for today's message, it's Declare His Glory Among the Nations. Uh, this is our International Sunday. This is a once a year we get to really think about the world um, and God's plan for the world. And so if you, you know, are coming here and you're not yet a believer, you're not, you have a different religion, thank you for being here this morning. Uh, I so respect you for coming and investigating. And would you remain open and, and think with us as we hear from God's Word, um, from the God of the universe as He speaks to us. So turn in your Bibles to Psalm 96. Um, if you're new, it'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, it's there so you can read along. Psalm 96, we had it read earlier today. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray and ask that you would bless the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, on this day of um, Australia Day, it's one of those days where we love to celebrate our multicultural society that we live in. Um, and multiculturalism is, is an awesome thing that we get to participate in, that we have so many different languages, cultures, backgrounds, and most of all, food. 
you know. <laughs> That's one of the greatest gifts of multiculturalism is that Australian, you know, white Australians aren't just eating meat and three veg anymore. We've got all the different food, pizza, pasta, sushi, you know, you name it. I mean, uh, Arby and I went out for lunch this week and we had Korean. And if you've never been to a Korean restaurant, Okay, let me tell you, you are missing out. Because you walk in, and before you've even ordered anything, 13 side dishes come on your plate for free. That is one of the awesome things about multiculturalism. Again, we have the coffee, we have the different dress, we have style, we have different skills and intelligences, creativity. Uh, The cultures also bring strengths and weaknesses. You know, some in the West are very independent you know, autonomous, and, and that helps them do some things, but it actually stops them doing other things really well. And generally, Eastern background people uh, have hierarchy and honor and respect their elders, something that the West doesn't do great. And so the East can learn from the West, and the West can learn from the East. And when we gather together, if we do it well, it can be awesome. Um, but multiculturalism isn't God's ultimate plan um, for the nations. God's ultimate plan for the people groups of the world is not just to gather and cohabit in the same places peacefully and to do their own thing and to have their own religions and ideas and to be pluralistic. No, you see, God is not a pluralist. He's not a relativist. God doesn't think that every religion is true or that every idea is valid or good. So you see, God's plan for the nations is not that we would just coexist together, but it's that we would worship together. You see, God's plan is that for people from all living creatures, from all lands, from all backgrounds, from all tongues, from all cultures, would worship Him and Him alone. Now, that's not a very politically correct message to say in multicultural Sydney, but that is the message that we've seen in the reading from today. And it's the message throughout the whole Bible that God is calling all peoples everywhere to worship Him and Him alone. And so this psalm comes in as a song for God's people to sing, to remind themselves and stir themselves to look out from their little communities and look broadly out into the world and see the desperate state of the nations. This psalm here is to remind the Israelites originally that their salvation that they have is not just for them. It's for all different peoples. And the psalm is here for us too. It's to remind us that we can have this nice little community and hang out and things like that, but there's a bigger plan in place. And God has a plan for the nations that they would all worship and enjoy Him. You see, one of the things that the church is called to after Jesus made the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations is world evangelization. That the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ should go to every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every people group, every nook and cranny of the world needs to know the message of Jesus. And so John Piper has famously said, missions exist because worship doesn't. You see, God's plan for the nations is that they would all gather and worship Him and Him alone. But the reality is, is that we live in a world with three billion people still unreached by the gospel. We live in a world where people reject him and follow all different ideas and ideologies and viewpoints, and they're not worshipping the one true God. Missions, global missions exist because worship doesn't. And we want that to change. 
And that's the purpose of this psalm. This psalm is to inspire us to look out and to desire that all the nations should worship God. So this morning what we're going to do is I'm going to look at this psalm um, in three points and kind of see what God has to say for us as a church community. And for those of you who are visiting and and aren't yet a believer and have a different religion, um, I'm going to talk a little bit to you as well um, in point two. So three points today, our calling, point two, their joy, and point three, playing our part. But one main idea, missions exist because worship doesn't, and we want that to change. Point number one, our calling. What I want to do to begin is just briefly go through this psalm and look at um, what God is trying to teach us through it. Um, The psalm is 13 verses, but it's split into three key sections. In verse 1 to 6, verse 7 to 10, and verse 11 to 13. And in each one of those sections, there's a, a command for God's people to do something, and it's a command for them to do it somewhere. So you have in verses 1 through 6, they're to declare God's glory to the nations. In verses 7 through 10, they're to invite the nations to worship Him. And in verses 11 through 13, they're to warn the nations of the judgment to come. And so they're the kind of three little mini points in this first point. What's our calling as a church? What are we meant to be doing? What does God have for each and every single one of us who name Christ? Well, firstly, we are to declare his glory to the nations. Look at verses 1 through 6. This is our calling. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. Why? For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all of the gods of the peoples are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. See, the psalmist is calling upon God's people to take up their divine duty to declare his glory to all the peoples of the earth. Notice the scope of it. It's, it's among the nations, all the earth, among all peoples, above all gods. This is not regionalized to Israel. This is not just a white person's message, even if you think of Western Christianity. This is for everyone. And notice what he wants them to do is to declare God's glory. This is not an embarrassed, like, oh, if you want to kind of know about Jesus, he's kind of okay. It's, It's a declaration of just how amazing and beautiful and kind and gracious and powerful and wise and all knowing and just and merciful God is. Our calling, the Israelites' calling, is to declare that everywhere to all peoples across all time. So firstly, the psalmist calls them to declare his glory to the nations. Secondly, though, not just to declare it, but to invite the nations to worship. Look at verses 7 to 10 again. Ascribe, and that means give, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, he's calling upon everyone, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. 
tremble before him all the earth. So not only are God's people meant to go out and declare how good he is, but we're meant to then invite all different people to worship this great God. It's not just a public service announcement and then people are left not knowing what to do. No, God is so generous and kind that he would call people, no matter their background, no matter their false religion, no matter their sin, no matter their shame, and would say, come, come and worship me. Though I am full of pure holiness and righteousness, you can come. In fact, I command you, come. I want you to be here and worship in my presence. You see those words there, bring an offering, come into his courts, worship in the splendor of holiness. Go away from your other religions and your other ideas and come to the one true living God. And God's people are not to bar them and say, oh, it's not really for you or it's not for your type of people. or No, no, God's people are to make his name glorious and to make it available to all people to join in. Something that Israel really failed to do time and time again. They were too busy chasing after the nations to become like them rather than standing apart from the nations and calling them to join. It's sort of like a gym, um, you know, the way the church works. Anyone can join a gym. They're not going to say, oh, you're sorry, we don't take um, white people in this gym. It's only, you know, this certain person. But only the people that are kind of going there for the purpose of working out can stay. Uh, And that's what the church is meant to be like. Anyone can come into the church um, if they are coming for the purpose of worshipping Him and enjoying Him. There's no barrier. There's no, you know, you know, status or money or culture. Or, and there shouldn't be any barrier, language or tongue or background. And we're inviting people to come and join and enjoy Him. But to do that, you have to leave behind your previous way of worshipping. You can't come into the local gym and say, oh, well, I want it to be a basketball court. It doesn't work like that. It's a gym, lift some weights, do some push-ups. That's how the gym works. And that's the same with church. And so he's calling to the nations, I want you to worship, but you need to bring an offering. That's, that's the way we do it. That, that's the, the Israelite way before, before Christ. Come in the splendor of holiness. Wear, get rid of your old priestly garments and wear the garments that you're meant to wear. Uh, and so God is this grand God who says anyone can come. Come as you are but you have to radically change when you do. (laughs) And that's kind of the balance of Christianity. So firstly, declare his glory among the nations. Secondly, invite the peoples to come. This is what we're meant to do. And thirdly, we're to warn the nations of his judgment. Read verse 10 through 13. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the people in his faithfulness. So not only do we go out and declare God is amazing and invite, come and worship him, But we also need to take up the hard word, which is the word of warning. The warning that there is only one God, and He reigns, and He reigns alone. There can be no deviation to who He is or what He's done. 
And our calling as God's people is to warn those who aren't following Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that judgment is one day coming. It may not look like it on Australia Day when we celebrate all these different cultures and, and it's all fun and we're eating and feasting. But there will be a day, there will come a time when the Lord will come back again. The Lord Jesus promised he will return. And on that day, it will be too late. And on that day, there will be judgment and all those who worship and serve Jesus Christ will be put to one side. And all those who followed any other way than Jesus Christ will be put to the other. And there will be no hope. Which is why God's people are summoned urgently to go and declare, the Lord reigns, there's no other ruler, there's no other hope, there's no other king, go and tell them. Because the judgment will come one day. And God will make all things that are wrong right again. And that's the promise of his justice that is coming. You see, missions exist because worship doesn't. All across the world, there are many people, even in our city, in our land, and across all the nations, people that do not know who Jesus Christ is, people that do not know the love and joy and peace and forgiveness and mercy and grace of Christ. And our job is to go and tell them so that they can join in the one song for all of eternity, worshiping the Lord. Mission exists because worship doesn't. And we want that to change. And so this first section is our calling. This is what God is calling each and every single one of us who names Christ in the room to be a part of. This is not just for the uber-Christian missionary, for the, you know, the, the guys that go out into the back jungles or the back deserts. This is for every single believer. This is a song for all Israel and all the followers of Christ to declare his glory, invite the nations to worship, and to warn them of the judgment to come. Now, this kind of message doesn't necessarily sit so well in our culture. And especially if you are here and you have a different religion or a different background, you may be thinking, well, how is this good news? Why would we want to go and tell people about this? I mean, it's going to disrupt their family. It's going to disrupt their career, perhaps. It's going to disrupt their whole community. If we see nation after nation start turning to Christ and people, um, you know, forsaking their religion, persecution's going to come. Danger's going to come. Death will come. People die because they become Christians. How is this good news? Why should we go out and tell them of these things? Won't it kind of disrupt their cultural heritage and won't it ruin the peace and stability of their lands? Or maybe if you're not yet a believer in Christ, won't it cause reproach on you, on me? And what does this all mean? So why is this good news? Why is the glory of the Lord good news? And that leads me to point number two, their joy. You see, the reason why this message, the reason why God is passionate about declaring himself to the nations is three reasons. Number one, his glory is their greatest good. You see, 
often when people boast and say, look how good I am, we kind of feel a bit awkward, especially in Australia. We look away and go, oh, that, that's no good. Like, come on, just be a bit more humble. You know, even in the tennis, you know, there's a certain level of like, yes, I got that point. But if you continually like, yes, I got that point, and look how amazing I am, and you suck, and I'm the best, and no one is good as me, we'd be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Calm down, Kyrgios, or, you know, whoever it is. <laughs> no, nah, he was good last night. He was good last night. We kind of recoil to that. And yet we read in this psalm that God is commanding his people to go to every person and nation and declare that he is glorious. The author of this psalm is ultimately God. And he is saying to the peoples, declare my glory. Tell them how amazing I am. Why is this good news? Because his glory is their ultimate good. You see, if you do not enjoy the presence and the glory of the Lord, you are completely missing out. You see, God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. All that is good comes from Him and Him alone. All that is righteous, all that is true, all that is just, all that is kind, all that is pleasurable comes from God and emanates and is part of His glory. And so to be cut off from the glory of the Lord, to not know the glory of the Lord, is to completely miss out. And so although it can feel imperialistic and colonial to go and tell the peoples and disrupt their lives with the message that you must worship Jesus Christ, it's actually the greatest kindness you can ever offer them. Because knowing God and enjoying His glory is the best gift you could ever, ever give anyone. It's the gift that keeps on giving because God's glory is infinite and unfathomable and unchanging and eternal. So although it disrupts, it's actually their greatest good that they would know the true glory of the true God. Second reason why we should go and tell and why this is actually good news is that His salvation is the only true salvation. You see, we have to go and tell the gospel because there is salvation in no one else. And although it's uncomfortable, and although it kind of makes me nervous when you have to say it to people face to face that I think you are wrong, um, there is only one way, and it's in Jesus Christ. And although it strikes against all of our kind of nat natural body and our, and our cultural ideas, it is the only way of salvation. There is no other hope. And so to go to the nations, to go to the peoples and tell them of Jesus Christ is the only way they can ever be liberated from their sin and avoid an eternity of hell. The apostles, after Jesus died on the cross for our sins and rose again after three days and ascended into heaven, went out and started telling people that they needed to trust in Jesus. And they said this in Acts chapter 4. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other hope. No other world religion, no other idea of how you can get to God will save you. It will never lead you to God. It is hopeless. It sounds harsh and rude to say, but it is the truth. It's the truth of the gospel that there is no other way than bowing the knee, confessing your sin, and putting your trust in Jesus. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols.
but the Lord made the heavens and the earth. Romans 10 verse 9 through 13 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction, this is the beauty of the gospel, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, that means between the Israelite and everyone else in the world. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This message is offensive. This message is not pluralistic. This message is not relativistic. It is objective. It is confrontational and exclusive and incredibly good news. Because anyone who calls upon the Lord in humble faith will instantly be saved and will be granted an eternity of joy and delight in the presence of that glorious God. And that's why we're going to go tell them, because there's no other hope. And the third reason why declaring God's glory among the nations is actually good news for them, even if, though it's disruptive, and even though it may disrupt your entire life if you follow Christ. And, and there's people in this room who, who that's, that is the reality for them. First, uh, reason number three. His justice can be their hope. What I mean by this is that when we proclaim that God reigns, that he will bring judgment, what we're also proclaiming is that he will set everything right again. That God will hold to account every sinner in all creation for their horrendous acts of injustice, genocide, rape, murder, torture, selfishness, greed, abuse, all those things people will not get away with. And so when we proclaim that the Lord reigns and that he's coming back to judge, it's both scary because it means people will be judged, but it's also comforting because the nations live, or many people live in oppressed and abusive situations under oppressive and abusive dictators and lords that remove all privilege and benefit to them. And so the thought that one day Jesus Christ will return and make everything new is the great hope that they can have. They may never have freedom and peace and privilege here on earth, but we can go to the nations and declare, the Lord reigns, one day he will come and he will make everything right again and he will gather you and there'll be no more tears in your eyes and he will be in your presence and you will be with him and he will be your ruler and everything will be good. Everything will be right. Everything will be just. There'll be no sin, no temptation, and no impurity in heaven for all eternity. That can be the hope for the nations. It can be the hope for anyone in this room who've experienced significant trial or suffering. You can look ahead and his coming judgment can actually be your present comfort. So why do we go and disrupt the nations? Why do we go and tell them the Lord reigns and that, that they're wrong and that Christ is right? Why do, we, why do we do that? Well, we declare his glory because it's their greatest good. We tell of salvation in Christ because it's the only salvation that will protect them for the wrath of God that will come against them for their sins. 
And we reclaim his justice because it can be their greatest source of hope and comfort as they live in terrible and dire situations. And for those of you here who aren't yet followers of Christ, may I implore you, come to him today. Come to him and reject your false ways and put your trust in him. Call upon the name of the Lord. Repent of your sin. And he will embrace you. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved without exception. So that was point number two. Well, point number one was our calling. Point number two was their joy. There's the reason why we're doing it. It's not because like, we're trying to build our institutions and spread colonialism or capitalism or democratic you know, political theory across the world. That's not what we're trying to do. We're doing it for the, for the joy of the nations, for the hope of the nations. And point number three, what is our part as Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta? What part do we play in this? I mean, it seems too big. Seven plus billion people in the world, three billion people unreached, 7,000 unreached people groups, languages that we'll never be able to learn, money that we'll never have enough to send. What are we meant to do as a church? What's God call on our life? Well... We've already heard part of it today, Psalm 96. Our job, this is our task. We're not leaving it up to the, the missions board and CMS and IMB and all these great sending agencies. It's our job as a local church. Missions flow out of the local church and result in local churches. World mission happens by people going and preaching the gospel and gathering believers to start another local church. And then that local church gathers believers, trains disciples, they send out missionaries, preach the gospel, gather another local church, and go from church to church to church to church all across the globe, ended up one day here in Parramatta. And then our job is to gather again, disciple the Christians, and then go and send people out into all the earth and start another church. That's our plan. We're a part of it. We're called to declare. We're called to invite. We're called to warn. But what hope do we have as, as we look at this massive calling? Well, Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. It's a daunting task, declaring, inviting, warning to all the nations. But Jesus has promised success. Because ultimately, this is not our mission, it's his there are my sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them. They will listen to my voice. So we can go in absolute confidence knowing that the mission is guaranteed to succeed as God has planned it. So how are we going to do this? Well, a couple of, couple of things that I want to put to us as a church, how we can practically be involved in finding those who are not part of the fold and bringing them in. And how we can be a part of this national or global idea. Number one, pray for the nations. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus said this, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest 
to send out laborers into his harvest. Brothers and sisters, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. God wants us to pray earnestly that laborers would be sent out, even if that means our best and closest friends in this church will go one day. Pray earnestly that laborers will be sent. Pray for the nations. Pray for Sovereign Grace churches in the nations. There's, I'll send out a list to you this week, but here's all the churches that we're a part of, uh, all the nations that we're a part of, and you can be praying for them. Australia, Bahamas, Belarus, Bolivia, Brazil, Canada, Colombia, Costa Rica, Croatia, Cuba, England, Ethiopia, Germany, Hungary, India, Ireland, Italy, Jamaica, Liberia, Mexico, Nepal, Pakistan, the Philippines, Puerto Rico, South Korea, Spain, Thailand, Turkey, Uganda, United States, Venezuela, and Zambia. That's where Sovereign Grace churches exist or where leaders that we're involved with training and equipping and sending. Pray for those nations. Pray for those churches. Pray for those pastors. Pray for laborers to be sent out into those areas. Secondly, give to the nations. We have a unique opportunity, brothers and sisters, as rich people in Australia to make comfort sacrifices for the sake of the global lost. As a church, we give 10% of all of our offering away. 5% of it um, we give to SG Global for the work of some of those church plants and for operating um, Sovereign Grace globally. 5% we give to Sovereign Grace Australia so that we can build and plant churches and spread them throughout our land here. But as you give, give to our church generously because 10% of that goes directly into the work of spreading his fame and name and glory throughout the nations. Give generously to our Go Forward Fund, which is coming up in March. Um, I'm going to explain more about that next week, but there's going to be significant thousands of dollars that we're going to send to a church plant in Ethiopia with one of my friends, Michael Granger, who's planting it, one of my pastor's college um, classmates, Josh Pennell, who's helping him plant it, and another family from Louisville. We're going to give thousands of dollars, our little congregation, to help make that church plant happen. Our church plant was given thousands of dollars to help make happen, and we get to be a part of making that work every week. Um, we're actually already giving. We've sent our first check over to the U.S. to SG Global. And so it's already happening. We're already part of it. And may I spur you on, continue to give generously. In um, Sovereign Grace Churches Australia, we have a vision to plant churches here, but also to be a part of planting churches all through Asia. Dave Taylor is the Emerging Nations leader. Basically, all those nations other than like Canada U.S. and Mexico and Great Britain, he's involved in working with the leaders. And we get to be a part of that incredible mission. Um, our Sovereign Grace Churches Australia region decided um, two weeks ago at our retreat that we are going to give generously and sacrificially and intentionally towards church planning through Asia. Um, so much so that we're going to set up a regional pastors college here in Australia in the next couple of years, just a six-week intensive on our way to maybe a longer-form pastors college in order to take key leaders who we already know of 10, 15, 20, 30 across the world, bring them to our church, train them up, and then send them back to their churches with some of the intangibles of Sovereign Grace theology and ideas that you can't get if you're just doing it online. So that's where your money is going when you're giving to our church, part of that. It's an exciting vision. We've got plans, maybe starting a church in Hong Kong, Singapore. Who knows where the Lord will lead us? Um, and so give 
generously. Um, and you can give on top of that to other organizations and directly yourself to Sovereign Grace as well. Thirdly, go. Um, we all have a calling in some way to go to the nations. Locally, the nations are already here. We don't have to go very far to reach unreached people, to tell people who've never heard that their sins can be forgiven and they're just in the park around the corner. They're just in our neighborhood, in our apartment block. They don't, they've never like been to scripture and heard about Jesus and rejected it. There's people that just don't even know and they're here in our city. And that's our calling. And that's why we're starting every month. We're going to go and do outreach, um, contact time for anyone that wants to, to go and just start trying to make conversations and meet people so they can know the good news. Secondly, some of us may be sent out globally. We have churches in all those countries. They need good people. They need skilled professionals. They need people who can support their pastors. And maybe God will call some of us and future members of our church to go. Our aim, one of my aims, is to train our best and then send our best. We're very well resourced, and we ought to be a part of sending and supporting and training for the sake of the nations. And finally, the fourth thing I think we can do to play our part is to not just focus on the mission itself, but the end of the mission. And the end of the mission we see in Revelation chapter 7 that all the nations will gather and worship and glorify God. You see, John Piper says this, Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Brothers and sisters, missions exist because worship doesn't. And so we get to be a part of helping more and more people join the worship part of that. Because then one day, Revelation 7, um, this is the reality. This is what the Apostle John saw at the end of time. After this I looked... And behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's the end point. That's why we go on mission, is so that there'll be more and more people that we'll meet in Parramatta and across the world that will be before the throne of God with a palm branch in their hand, whatever that looks like, singing, salvation belongs to our Lord. Fix your eyes, not just on the mission, but the end of the mission, because that will inspire you and spur you on to play your part. Brothers and sisters, we must declare God's glory. It's their greatest good. We must invite them to worship Jesus because he's the only true means of salvation. We must warn them of the judgment to come because it can be their greatest source of hope. And we must play our part, praying, giving, going, and anticipating the worship of God of all peoples. Would you pray with me? Oh Lord God, let the peoples praise you. 
Let all the peoples praise you, O Lord. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Lord, would you be pleased amongst our little church to help make the nations be glad? Would you raise us up, send us out, starve us of our comfort that we may have keen senses to know of the desperate plight of billions of people across our world. Lord, we thank you that you came to us in your son, Jesus Christ, that you saved us from our sin. We thank you that we can be totally forgiven and redeemed through him. I pray for anyone here who has not yet put their trust in you. Would they be open to trusting in you even today, confess their sins, and make you their savior? Would you be kind enough to stir their heart, demonstrate that they need you, Fill them even with fear of one day of your judgment that all their unrighteous deeds will be uncovered and they will stand before you. Lord, we pray and ask that you would fill our hearts with worship for you. May our ultimate joy and hope be your glory celebrated throughout all eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.